0: Your name. Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. So if you've been tracking with us over the last, uh, Fire, four weeks. This is week five. We've been doing a series called The Story of the Kingdom. and We've been looking at the kingdom of God through the meta-narrative or the, the big story of scripture. Um, we looked at Genesis and Exodus and uh, we had Alicia come from Cabramatta and talk about covenant and how God, God's kingdom and presence is so intertwined. Um, but if we define what the kingdom of God is, uh, the Greek word is basileia. Can everyone say basileia? That's a layer, And it means the active, dynamic rule and reign of God. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a physical place. We are talking about when God is Godding, when he is reigning, and when we see that rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And we've explored this kind of tension that we live in of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. So we see the kingdom here manifesting itself and we see the kingdom as a future event that is still coming. And this is perhaps the most crucial kind of theological piece we need to grasp. There's one thing that I want you to grasp from the last five weeks is that Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is always simultaneously present or fulfilled. It's also future. We talked about this last week. It's also near and it's delayed. So it's simultaneously Present, future, near, and delayed. So if you get nothing else from this series, grab that theological piece. Um, Because this whole idea of the kingdom is that we live in the mystery of the kingdom. And the mystery is this. The central point of Jesus' mission and message, why he was on earth, was to say that the appearance of God's kingdom from the end of the age is now becoming dynamically active amongst us in his person in Jesus. He was bringing the future age into the present. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about Jesus as the fulfillment and living in the presence of the future. How about we pray? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, that we can meet as your church, as your body. And God, we can learn more about who you are and your kingdom, what you've you've come to bring here on earth. And God, I pray this morning that as I share, Lord, you will be working in each of our hearts. Would you put a hunger in us to see more of your kingdom come in our lives and the lives of those around us? We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a little bit of background first. Uh, As we talked last week, Jesus was announcing that the coming of the kingdom came, and it came in great expectation in Israel. So, the Old Testament, if you're reading the Old Testament, you can divide it in half. Um, You have The Exodus story or Genesis, Exodus, and up to the kind of Davidic monarchy, so David and his son Solomon. And you can define that half of the Old Testament as Yahweh is king, God is king. So um, Moses, when they were led out of, across the Red Sea, out of Egypt, he had the song of Moses and he said, The Lord, which is Yahweh, the I am, the Lord reigns forever and ever. So it's this idea that the kingdom is present. And then The second half of the Old Testament, after the exile, when it appeared that the kingdom was not present in Israel's midst, you have this, the prophets, this kind of promise of the future, which is Yahweh will be king again. Yahweh will be king. So, the first half, Yahweh is king. Second half of the Old Testament is Yahweh will be king. And Isaiah, of all the prophets, speaks most about this coming kingdom. It's really Isaiah that shapes Israel's expectation. And it's The most prominent prophet in Jesus' view of himself. The book of Daniel as the son of man and Isaiah were the two key characters of the Old Testament that Jesus was talking about and impersonating in himself as the coming of the kingdom. There are a number of metaphors in Isaiah to announce that Yahweh himself will come back into history. Um, Isaiah talks about Yahweh coming to the world through a descendant of King David. Uh, which is the the metaphor of the root of Jesse. So Jesse being David's father. So the root of Jesse was sprouting. So see Isaiah eleven ten, 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all peoples. And the word banner is this idea of king, mm-hmm. king raising a banner. And the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day of the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. So there's this promise that the king will come again. All the nations of the earth are going to rally around this new king, the Messiah, and he'll embody a covenant not just with Israel, but this time all nations of the Earth, all of humanity. Isaiah also talks about this outpouring of the spirit that will eclipse any previous move of God that they've seen in history. It's a picture of rain in the desert and water flowing in rivers and streams, this amazing outpouring of the presence of God. So we see stuff like Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, the presence of God coming into the dry places. The overwhelming message, if if you're reading commentaries about Isaiah, the overwhelming message is about salvation. That's the one word that continually gets repeated throughout Isaiah, salvation will come from Yahweh. Yahweh alone is saviour, ruler, and king. So we see passages like Isaiah 12. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, which is Yahweh, that's the, the I am. In the English, we translate it Lord. So Yahweh, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So it's this promise of the coming Messiah this ushering in the rule and reign of God will involve salvation. And the big picture, if you read the whole of Isaiah, it's a long book, Um, but uh, it's this idea that the Messiah, which is the Spirit-anointed one, that's literally what Isaiah means, the Spirit-anointed one, will usher in the rule and reign of God. And it will involve forgiveness of sins. So we see um, texts like Rich in Mercy quoted, um, healing from every form of sickness. So not one person in Zion will be sick. Here's a promise. Liberation from every form of humanity. Chains will fall off. Uh, The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. Whatever has humanity in bondage will be translated into liberty or freedom. And it's ultimately this peace will come, not just for a generation, but shalom, the peace of God will be enduring peace forever. God will finally defeat the main enemy of humanity, which is death. That is all promised in Isaiah. So all these pictures, this whole landscape, Jesus summarizes into one phrase, "Basileia, the kingdom of God. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's meaning all of that. It's this big picture of the day of the Lord, of the day of Yahweh that will, happening, that will happen. So now with that in mind, I know this is a bit dense again this morning. Um, with that in mind, let's look at how Jesus announces his public ministry. Luke 4. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So people are going, Bing, this is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18 The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Boom. I am the Messiah, the Spirit anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So can you see what Jesus is saying here? He's announcing that he's bringing the kingdom. And now here comes a real punch. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him. Of course they were, their jaws would have dropped. They would have been like, what are you saying? And then he says this, he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop moment. I am the Messiah. Jesus saying that he is the one who is breaking in from the future into the present to bring the rule and reign of God. And here we go with a bit of dense theology for you. But uh, Hebrew thought at that time was that God and time were heading along in a linear progression towards the end of the age. So you've got time this present age and there'd be a moment when the end of the age the word is the eschaton which is where we get the word eschatology or end times from this day of yahweh would come when a new kingdom would be ushered in and that was going to be a linear progression and then you'd have the end of time and the new age would come the new age of the kingdom but no one could actually conceive what would happen when jesus came see when jesus came the age to come in his birth, mission and message, the cross, resurrection, and then Pentecost. That's a little bit of fire there. (laughs) He was ushering in the age of the future into this present age. And that was outside the realms of possibility for the Jewish psyche at the time. Got another picture here. So Judaism at the top, before creation, between creation and the end time, that's what that word parousia means. They're expecting that the day of Yahweh, the eschaton would come and then you'd enter into the new age. But actually Christianity says that we had before creation, then we had between creation and the parousia and Christ came as the eschaton, as the fulfillment of the end into our present age. So we're living in this tension between the present age and the age to come, but in many ways, the future has already become present in our midst in this present age. Now, if you're thinking this morning, oh no, I've walked into a bit of a crazy church, here comes the end time conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you we're not that way. Um, I've grown up in, an, in church most of my life and I've never actually heard teaching on this that's really just foundational and biblical. Um, And I've never Googled it for fear of landing on conspiracy theory sites where, you know, wearing a mask during a global pandemic means that you're wearing the sign of the beast from Revelation. There's crazy stuff out there. Um, But it's fundamental to understand this as as Jesus' view, because this is how he viewed himself. And it's what people call his hermeneutical key. It's the way, his lens of reading the Old Testament, how he viewed himself and his mission and message. And so therefore it becomes our hermeneutical key, which means that when we start to understand this, the whole of the scriptures are unlocked in a new way that we haven't realized before. We see Jesus as the presence of the future. We see texts in the Old Testament with new truths about the coming of the kingdom of God that we probably hadn't realized before. We see his mission and message, driving out demons, healing the sick, as kingdom message, as the rule and reign of God coming in our present day. That was Jesus' goal. It was to usher in the presence of the future. And we actually see it in his his ministry. So the key word in Jesus' ministry is authority. And when Jesus taught, he didn't quote other rabbis, which is what you would do if you were a rabbi, you would quote other rabbis. Oh, the guy before me said this, blah, blah, blah. Jesus doesn't do that. He elevated his authority above all the others, even above the words of Moses himself. That's why people were so annoyed at his teaching. That's why the scribes were so annoyed. And when he encountered evil spirits, he cast them out with a simple word of command. That was authority that hadn't been seen before in Israel at the time. He speaks to the weather, storms, and they die down. That's authority. But what really got him in trouble with the scribes was his authority to forgive sins. So if you look at Mark chapter two, or Matthew nine, if you're reading that version, which is the story of when they, lower the paralyzed man through the roof for healing, if you know that story. Um, Listen to the words of Jesus here. "But But so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's how Jesus referred to himself as, which is that picture from Daniel of the Messiah. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your mat and go home. Now you might think, oh, well, it's pretty easy to declare that your sins are forgiven. That's what people were thinking at the time, hence the demonstration of the healing associated. But in Israel, not just anybody could pardon your sins. You had to go through the right channels. You had to go to a priest, uh, probably in the temple and offer a sacrifice at a certain time. No one could just go around pardoning sins. But before you think, oh, well, you know, Jesus is saying, oh, I know you're a little bit hungry yesterday and you got really angry. It's okay, don't worry about it. Um, this pardon that Jesus is giving is an end time pardon. It's the final pardon on this man's life. He is declaring this man in right standing with God. So the son of man is pardoning him before the end. Hence why all the, scribe, the scribes called it blasphemy. So here's where it kind of comes to crunch time for us. Because if you think, uh, you know, it might be late one night and you're driving in your car along Merneville Road, and you think, oh, there's no other cars around. I just won't really watch my speed dial. May or may not have happened to me. And, and you pass one of the unmarked cars that uh. takes your photo. It's really annoying. <laughs> and it, this is not true, but let's say it happened a few times and you get a letter in the mail saying, you're supposed to appear in court in six weeks' time because you lost your licence. So you rock up six weeks later in court. You bow to the judge and uh, he says, oh, what's your name? You say, oh, it's Jonathan. He said, oh, uh, no, we've already held your case. It happened six weeks ago. And you say, uh, "What? I, w- I wasn't here for that. He said, oh no, someone represented you, that's okay. Oh, who represented me? And the judge says, oh, I did. You go, okay. And he goes, it's all good. Fines have been paid, full license restored to you, penalty's been, penalty's been paid, acquittal. <laughs> and you go, oh, gee, thanks. Free to go home, full license, no penalty. That's what Jesus is declaring here. He's ushering in this new reality that no one could conceive of. While this age is still here, the next age has already begun. So in God's dealing with us as his kids, there are, there are now kind of two days of judgment. You have the final judgment at the end of time, the day of Yahweh. And you also have the judgment that occurred with Jesus on the cross. You just have to decide which judgment day you want to turn up for, which day of court. And the good news is that if you believe in Jesus, your trial is past. It happened 2000 years ago with Jesus on the cross you, you do not have to enter into future judgment. You've already been acquitted. You've already been declared free and forgiven. You never again have to fear the judgment of God. And it means that you've entered into what Jesus calls eternal life. And the word for eternal life, it's zoe, which is life, zoe ionios. And it literally means the life of the future age. So if you believe in Jesus, you have already entered into the life of the future age. Even death itself has been defeated ahead of time. If you believe in Jesus, you have the gift of eternal life starting in your now. Listen to how Jesus talks about his journey to the cross in John 12. Oh, sorry. uh, Have I missed a slide? Perhaps. John 12. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world, which is Satan, will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now is the time for judgment. That's his journey to the cross. He's saying that I'm bringing the presence of the future into the now. Today is your day of judgment, he says to the people. The king has come and he's already dealt with your sin. So if you believe in Jesus, your day of judgment has passed. The king has represented you in court. Um, and that's where we get the word grace. That's what grace is all about. I was trying to explain to Blakely the other day what, what grace is. And I said, oh, it's getting something for free that you don't deserve. And she said, sultanus? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is like her favorite treat. And I said, yeah, it's kind of like getting sultanus. <laughs> But it's the life of the kingdom, freedom, peace and forgiveness is all available now if you come to Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know whether you've received that or um, you haven't decided which day of judgment you want to show up for, um, I would love to, to pray for you. But the whole the good news of the kingdom is that your day of judgment has already been it's in the past. The next thing that Jesus says is fulfillment is resurrection, his resurrection and the resurrection of others. So we looked at this passage the other week, but in John 11, he's talking, this is the, the passage where Lazarus is raised from the dead. Jesus is talking to Lazarus's sister. He says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's thinking of, of the day of Yahweh to come. But listen to how Jesus responds here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is one of those I am statements of Jesus that we looked at, but he's essentially saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God who is becoming present in your midst, and I am the resurrection. I'm fulfilling this now. And then Lazarus is raised from the dead. The statement that Jesus is making here is that he is king even over death itself. And Paul in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the last enemy to, destroyed, to be destroyed is death, but guess who defeated it? Jesus. He's already defeated death, hence his bodily resurrection. That's why the bodily resurrection is so important as a key part of Christian doctrine. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead in bodily form, then we have no hope, as Paul says. But if he did, which he did, then we have a future hope. And finally, we see Pentecost. And Pentecost is the moment where the Spirit comes to the church in Acts chapter 2. I'll just read this passage to you. 2 verse 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you know the story following this, Jesus then stands up and he gives his first sermon about who Jesus was and how to be saved. And in that first sermon, he reads from the prophet Joel. So, everyone listening would have would have been going, oh, Joel is one of the end-time prophets. He's talking about the day of Yahweh here. And Peter says, this is not a future event. This is now. This coming of the Spirit, this life of the future age, it's coming now if you believe in Jesus. That's why Pentecost is so important. The power of the future has entered our present age and is accessible to us as followers of Christ. You can know intimacy with God now, not just when you die. You can know the intimacy of God now, not just when you die. And if you know the Easter story, what gets torn in two when Jesus dies on the cross? Anybody? The veil. veil. So the veil in the temple, the temple is actually designed in a way to metaphorically symbolize the present and the future age. So the outer court, Is the present age and the Holy of Holies in the center is the future age when mankind and God would be able to converse face to face and the veil between the two was ripped in half it's symbolic of saying the future time when you can have intimacy with God is now it's breaking into our present age the power of the future age is in the now The point of vortex between the two is Jesus and his Holy Spirit. That's why Pentecost is so important. The power of the future age breaking into the now and as Paul says, lives in you. Just let that truth sit with you for a second. The presence of God is with you, in you, now. We live in the presence of the future. And that's kind of the whole point that I've been driving at this morning That's why this truth is so foundational for us as followers of Jesus. We have access to the powers of the future age in our present. So what's that take home for us then? Well, the coming of Jesus, it's set up an entirely new reality. Before this world has terminated and the new world has begun, you can experience life with God. You are filled with the Spirit. You begin to experience the presence of the future. You live in two worlds at the same time. So when you're inviting your friend to Alpha and you're at the work coffee station and you say, hey, you know, Elon Musk, you know, how he's trying to get some Mars and they go, yeah. You say, well, I live in two worlds at the same time. And just watch what happens to their face as they slowly back away to refill their stapler. (laughs) Probably don't do that. But that is the reality. We, we straddle two worlds. We live in the presence of the future. And I'm messing around a bit. But until you understand that, you'll never really know the glory and equally the frustration of the Christian life. The kingdom is available, which means we can see God break in and do incredible stuff. We can see people healed, set free, encountering the love of Jesus. And yet we still live in that tension that we talked about a few weeks ago of, of the current age. But it does mean this. When you enter a room, the odds shift. When you enter a room, the odds shift. You carry the presence of the King with you. That's why Pentecost is so important. What Jesus ushered in, His mission and His message, is available to us by His Spirit. So when you enter a room, the odds shift. Praying your kingdom come is inviting the powers of the coming age. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. To suddenly show up in the present. We're inviting God's final renewal of all things to enter into your life and the lives of those around you. So when you walk into a coffee shop and you see someone on crutches, the odds have just instantly shifted for that person. When a friend confides in you that they're struggling in their marriage, the odds have just shifted for that person because you have the presence of the future age with you and you can freely offer that. Grace is available because you carry it with you. And when we gather in community like this, and invite the Holy Spirit to come and bring His kingdom, the odds have just shifted for all of us. Um, on Fridays, I've been trying to head out with uh, Sam Moore, who's doing a little bit of a ministry placement with us at Centerpoint as part of his college. So on Fridays, part of that ministry placement, we're just heading out and just seeing what God wants to do—prayer walking and and trying to offer this future age to people in the present, praying for healing whatever the Lord kind of speaks to us. And Sam texted me on Friday morning, he said, I'm unwell, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do it today. And in, honestly, inside something felt a little bit relieved in me. I've been quite busy. And also that's a stretch for me doing that stuff. So I was like, oh, cool, no worries, we can do it next week. <laughs> and then um, I just sort of felt like God say, no, no, you should still go. And I'm like, oh, I'm really, I've got lots to do this afternoon. Like, we were gonna head to a Oringle Mall because it was raining and I thought I've got lots to do and I kind of just ignored the thought and then Blakely comes up to me and she, and she goes Dada, keys and I said w- w- what, what do you mean? Car keys and I said why do I need my car keys? She said where are your car keys? and I said they're in the, dr- they're in the drawer and she goes Dada, go to shops <laughs> 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 and I was like okay fine <laughs> using my own <laughs> And so I got the car keys out of the drawer and I drove down to the shops and I was like, Lord, well, I'll, you know, I'm busy. I've got an hour. I, like, what do you want to do? And um, this girl walks past me and she's on a crutch and, and I said, okay, fine. So I walked up to her and I just said, hey, um, sorry to bother you. Uh, my name's Jonathan. I'm a Christian. I'm learning to pray for people for healing. Would you mind if I practiced on you? And she said, oh, go for it. So I said, like, okay, cool. You know, what's wrong? She just broke her foot and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I just prayed a really quick prayer, you know, like 20 seconds. I spoke to the foot, told it to be healed, pain to leave. And I said, any change? And I was fully expecting, no, but thank you. And she goes, yeah, um, actually, I I can put weight on my foot where I couldn't put weight on my foot before. So okay, cool. Now, do you mind if I pray again? She goes, yeah, go for it. So I prayed again. Um, She was very thankful, gave her an invite to Alpha. I don't know if she'll come or not, but pray for her. I think her name was Maddie. um, And said, you know, my number's on there if if you want to get in touch and find out more about what this God thing is. And she goes, okay, thank you. And Then I thought, I should go to a coffee shop and work on my talk for Sunday. So I sat in a coffee shop and then I just got the thought, the person who's going to bring you your coffee struggles from insomnia. So I'm like, okay. So she brings my coffee out and I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? She goes, yeah, sure. I said, do you get insomnia at all? And she goes, no, what you should do for insomnia, if you're struggling with it, is you go to the doctor and they um, they get you melatonin tablets. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not asking for myself. <laughs> I'm asking, do you suffer from insomnia? And she goes, oh, no, why do you ask? And I was like, okay, missed that one. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm writing a talk for Sunday about praying for people. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And she said, oh, yeah, that'd be great, actually. And so she said something that I could pray for her and just in the coffee shop pray for her. So even when you miss it, you can still go for it. And then um, I thought, okay, I'm gonna try for one more. And I just got the thought that there was someone there with a broken wrist or a wrist in a cast, a, a young girl. And so I walked to the food court and there was a girl with the, her hand in a wrist cast. And so I said, hey, I'm a Christian. Same same thing, I'm, I'm learning to pray for people. Uh, would you mind if I prayed for you? And can I ask you what, what happened to your wrist? And she, she shared and so I prayed and she was very thankful. Um, so we can we can go for it when we when we step into a room the odds shift for us and for other people we have the presence of the future and we can go for it and trying to demonstrate the kindness and the love and mercy of god and you know sometimes we see it like the go with the foot and sometimes we don't necessarily see it like the, ins- the insomnia risk but we still live in the pre- because we still live in the present age but we also carry with us the presence of the future and so sometimes when we pray for the Holy Spirit to come, all that happens is we have coffee. But then other times we encounter the presence of Jesus and we see people healed and set free. Um, next week, we have a friend of ours coming who's called Chris to finish this series. And he's going to actually talk about what it means to be kingdom people. So I'd encourage you to try and be there for that. But. Um, let's be intentional this week. At try, trying to partner with Jesus, his still small voice, in seeing how he wants to bring the presence of the future into our present age. Cool. And how about we do that now? Let's, let's spend a bit of time praying for each other. Bless your name. You've been listening to the Point Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart.